If you're supposed to line up at nine yards, don't line up at eight and a half. Preach now. You know, if you're supposed to do nine reps, don't do eight. Okay, okay. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you say you're going to be somewhere, be there on time. Respect the man's time. Oh, man. Man, Coach G. That was church right there. That's, I that. Hey, that's straight church, bro. Gospel. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Puka Nakua is primed to have a big year. He's finally healthy, ready for perhaps what we think could be a thousand yard year. Here's my conversation recently with the junior wide receiver. All right, Puka, how's fall camp going, man? Pretty good. Staying busy, staying healthy. It's fun to get out here. Finally got some pads on. You go get a little contact, show everybody how big you are, how the, how the summer workouts were going and stuff, but it's been good. It's been fun to watch the physicality before you even had all the pads on. You guys are like itching to hit, it looked like. Is Literally, that right? Yeah, it's like the, the first days of fall camp, everybody's like, oh, you're so excited. There's so much energy. Everybody can't wait to get out there. The freshmen finally get to be a part of the team and start playing football. So it's like the best and like the worst feeling. All built up anger, tension, like emotions, the eagerness to play. It all comes out at once. And uh, 125 dudes just waiting to run into each other sounds like a disaster, honestly. <laughs> It is sometimes, right? It's crazy. Um, talk to me about this fall camp, coming in healthy for the first time in your college career and kind of what difference that's made. Uh, it's been so fun to like be active, a part of the stuff, and like to come into meetings and like not be stuck like in, in the training room doing rehab and stuff like that, to be a part of all the events, getting all the reps in, um, and just to be fully engaged um, in the game of football and then be fully engaged with my teammates. There's a tendency when you have injuries or stuff, it's like, I want to isolate myself. It's me going through this. It's not, uh, none of my teammates are going through this, but uh, it's been nice to be a part of that and then just to kind of see some of the teammates who might have been going through injuries or something that I've been similar and then be able to reach out to them and be like, hey, everybody's kind of had that injury phase or something that is kind of holding you back, but it's, it's time for football. We got, we got four weeks of football and you got to enjoy it while it's here. Last year it was on the DL that you had a hamstring. You didn't play in the Arizona game. How quickly did it take you to get fully healthy in the season? Um, <laughs> kind of hard. I mean, you, 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 when season starts, it's kind of hard to say what healthy is. You know, you take, you take your nicks and bruises during the season. But uh, I wouldn't say it was much longer after that. It was nice. So we, we got our staff, uh, was able to help me get right. And then once season starts, that's kind of enough energy sometimes to get you out of bed, whether you're, whether you're healthy or not. <laughs> This year at BYU, having a second season, what kind of difference do you feel in terms of uh, comfortability with the quarterbacks, with the line, with the playbook, and so on? Um, like, ultimate comfortness. They probably feel uncomfortable sometimes how uncomfortable I feel in the locker room. We, uh, these are my brothers. Like, I lost Samson, so these guys, are they, they, are, they are taking place. 125 guys are taking the place of Samson for me. So my It takes that minute. <laughs> kind of. It probably would take more. <laughs> but uh, just a level of comfort that uh, we get to spend time outside of football in the locker room playing video games against each other. We play UFC. We play PGA. Like, I don't know if people play PGA on the Xbox, but we do that over here. But the ping pong games we play, the shuffleboard, like, those are the those are the things that help us uh, that builds the trust that I have in those guys when we're out there in the football field and I hope that's like the, the team camaraderie that we get to do and the stuff that we have uh, it, it helps out there on the football field more than the guys think for sure. You led BYU in yards last year with 805 despite not playing the Arizona game and being a little hampered at the beginning. Is a thousand yards a fair goal for you? Is that a thing you've written down and thought about? Um, definitely. I haven't put any numbers out there. Um, I'll do it for you. A thousand yards. <laughs> uh, that, uh, whatever is, whatever is asking me, I'm excited. I, I have big goals and aspirations uh, for this season. And I felt like, uh, last year was just, uh, 
a, a, a preview of what I feel like I have in store and I've been working on my game trying to improve in the places that I feel like I wasn't there at and then obviously to prepare myself for what the future goal is so uh, and that's to beat USF. <laughs> so I'm excited. So I'm ready for that one. I'll be ready. That was kind of that was my first game. I broke 100 yards. So hopefully, uh, you know, maybe we'll see if we can break 200 this time. Hey, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Hey, if 805 was a preview, I really like that trailer. I'm excited for the movie. Um, being an Orem kid, going to Washington, coming back, being now a fourth year junior right at BYU, where you guys are expected to be pretty good this year. What's this experience like for you as a local kid playing for the Y now? Um, I think this year it's hit me more kind of than ever, even though there was the the love that me and Samson felt last year of coming back home and the season that we had last year was uh, one that will lives in my head daily, all the memories I have with Samson and them being on those guys, uh, on the field with him last year. But this year it's like, it's the perfect storybook ending. We're in, we're in far, far away, and it's happy ever after now. Like uh, everything's coming together. The picture fits right. All the pieces are coming together, and you can just if everything going forward feels so good. It's like I, I'm not asking for anything to be perfect. It's already perfectly planned in front of me. So uh, I'm, I just, I'm so excited. <laughs> you and Samson always have a smile on your face. You've talked about this with me before. Of like, hey, li life's meant to be happy. I want to go back to your, your deep blue from last year. Super emotional about your dad and what he meant to you. And you talked about the greater plan that he had to have you and Samson, obviously Kai here at, at BYU and your other brother. Um, what's it like to know, hey, dad had this plan and here we are living this out? Um, it's, it's surreal sometimes. And uh, the blessing that um, it's been to, to be here in this moment now and to kind of see the, the plan that he had, um, it feels good, at, um, but there's always that kind of the thought of I, I wish he obviously he was here to see the the plan that he had envisioned so long ago kind of come together. And it's it's odd how the things that he would have mentioned uh, I've seen happen in front of my eyes and in my life. And I've been the, the benefits of uh, the things that he had planned out there. But and then just a blessing to be uh, with my family, like the journey that we've been through. My mom, um, she she's she's done it all uh she wasn't she wasn't she didn't know what to do but she got us here and uh it's all been part of a surreal plan but extremely extremely blessed to be where i am but uh dad you you, you planned it right for sure puka nakua talking to his uh dad there at the end an emotional moment um uh, for puka and if you haven't seen his deep blue you need to check it out his uh his uh dad uh died a couple years ago and was certainly influential in his life and had this plan like you talked about where the boys would play at BYU. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. All right, Mason Wake tweeted out the following with this picture. It says, uh, free tickets to the Vegas game to whoever can guess what we're talking about. Jerem, what are they talking about? This is from Photo Day. Also, the Vegas game is fun. It's against Notre Dame. He's asking, did you know that Built Bar employee number one is behind us? <laughs> Nick Phillips. Nice. Who wears a hat to photo day? That's what he's saying to Gunner. Or does Cade Finnegan have QB hair or what? Who's on the left of Gunner? See, I'm Those think, are my options. I'm thinking he's saying, I'm hearing a rumor that there may be a chocolate cougar tail. <laughs> oh my gosh. Dude, did you hear? Did you hear? They should make I'm gonna talk to, I'm though. honestly, Do I'm gonna talk. It's all maple all I the think time. there's, I, honestly, I. Somebody told me there's one game like it for like maybe like the the blackout games. Okay. That maybe they would they do the chocolate. Hmm. 
Interesting. I, I'm not a maple bar guy, so I, I would enjoy the chocolate. You're not like first. a carb guy. That is true. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's pretty healthy, man. Uh, Hunter Miller, shout out to Hunter, tweeted out a royal helmet concept with the beat digger cougar on a block Y. This is, this is cool. Uh, do you like this? I, I do like it. I think it's really cool. Um, and that's what, uh, look, the kids like uh, like the different uniforms, the helmet combinations. Way to sound old. Um, I think that's amazing. And I love that it's on a matte finish helmet. I don't like it. Oh, I love it. Okay. All right, I thought you were gonna yeah. go the other direction. I do that to my daughter quite a bit, throws her off. Okay. BYU Basketball tweeted that, uh, quote, show and tell had a clear winner with a picture of Elijah Bryant who'd stopped by the basketball offices with his Milwaukee Bucks championship ring. Nice. All right, if you were going to bring, uh, if you're gonna, going for the win in a BYU Sports Nation show and tell, what are you bringing? I'm bringing an NFT of the first time I said, sorry, <laughs> no time for Dennis. No. Um, realistically, Tyler Haas shoes, he gave them to BYU TV and BYU Sports Nation. Yes. From the game where he broke Jimmer Fredette's scoring record. That's, That's awesome. a cool uh, that is show cool. and tell, right? I, I think I may have told this story on the show before. Uh, tell it again, when, Shep. When my wife and I got married, um, I was working with... How many years ago was that again? More than a couple. Um, a guy that I worked with, David James. Shout out to David James. DJ. He is good friends. Went to, went to college with Jim Rome. Yes, that Jim Rome. So David, as a wedding gift to, to Heather and I, I'm just making sure people realize I'm talking about the Jim Rome. Yeah. Uh, James. Got him to sign a, uh, a, a picture. So Jim Rome wrote to us, jungle karma to your marriage, Jim Rome. <laughs> Rackamy's out. And so he gave it to us in a, in a frame. I still have that to this day. So that's what I would bring in. That's, I'm so that's proud of that. The, the show and tell. Yeah, that's James what I would. James Rome. The, the Jim Rome jungle wish karma. jungle karma to my marriage. <laughs> and did it work? We're still going strong. That's great, yeah. man. Jungle karma. <laughs> so many jokes. Uh, Fox College Football <laughs> poses this question on Twitter. Who's the best player to never win a Heisman Trophy? Then CBS's Seth Davis, a college basketball analyst, responded with Jimmer Fredette. Is he wrong? Uh, no, and <laughs> Seth's love for all things Jimmer Fredette is one of the great things on social media. He's still uh, on that Jimmer Mania train. Why wouldn't you be? Why, why, why would you why ever not? get off of the, the Jimmer Fredette train? No. Speaking of James. Yeah, James Taft Fredette. James He's not wrong. Taft Fredette. Yes. So good. Okay. Isaac Rex was asked Jungle yesterday. Jungle karma. Jungle karma to your marriage. Um, Isaac Rex was asked this yesterday. This is great. About, this is great. About his thoughts on preseason polls and if he paid attention to them. Here's what he said. I don't even know where we're at or care. But to be honest, those things are annoying anyways because they change after like the first week. So I, why don't we just do it after the first game? Because I guess it's just a money grab or something, all the schools that are on there. Because you see schools that are like seven on there, you know, and then they don't even, they're not on it the rest of the time, you know? Okay. Seven, seven. huh? Seven, okay. Okay. Uh, Was that just a random number? Or wait, because who's, who's ranked seven? Uh, that team up north. Interesting. Uh, so, was it random or was that on purpose? <laughs> I think ours, Isaac's a smart kid. Yeah. I think that was on purpose. Um, and Utah's going to be really good this year. Th yes. Um, Whether it was random or on purpose. Strength of schedule. In my mind, it will always be on purpose. Yes. Um, <laughs> because that's because that's funnier. Would you? Yes, exactly. Would you want the polls to come out later? 
Like he he, yes, he no. said after week one, why not? I would say after after like the, the first, first month, month. Yes. If you're going to do that, go after the first month. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the preseason. It's a well, marketing. Look, thing. It gives us things to talk about on a show. Like we I don't talk know, BYU for five hours a week. So we like it. But in terms of like what it actually means and a fair and accurate assessment. Probably after the first month. Shout out to Cougar Stats who uh, said BYU in the last 50 years has gone from unranked to ranked in the final AP poll 12 times, most in college football. BYU is used to no respect at the beginning of the year and then, hey, finish right, let's go. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. You know it's college football season when we are welcoming ESPN college football insider Trevor Maddich He's back, back on the show. Technically, it's a Maddich Thursday. We do Maddich Monday, but it's preseason. We don't care so one day. We have some preseason Maddich interviews on Thursday. Trevor, welcome back to the program. It's great to be back, guys. I can't wait for kickoff. Oh, man. Look at you, mountain man. Looking good. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I think my wife says she likes it. I think it's because it covers half my face, so I'll, I'll keep it as long <laughs> as she wants me to. Nature's mess. <laughs> Once again, it always matters what the wife cares about most. Trevor, uh, we were discussing in our opening segment the first three games for BYU specifically at USF, which is a sneaky game. BYU comes home to host the defending Big 12 champions, Baylor. And then they go on the road to Eugene and take on a very interesting Oregon team. That's two top 15 opponents in the first three games and a trip to Florida. Uh, what do you think of BYU's overall status uh, and the three games leading off the season and how they'll impact the entirety of the season? Well, it's, it's an opportunity to start fast or an opportunity to start slow. And so there's really a lot of, a lot of I don't want to say risk, but there is a lot of opportunity here in these first three games. The USF game is, is very tricky going to Tampa to play that game because USF's focused on this game the entire offseason, and the players will be focused on it, whereas BYU's players, the coaches try to focus them on that opener against the Bulls, but everybody knows that then comes Baylor, then at Oregon, and so how focused will BYU be? The, the, those first three games need to start with a win and a win with good execution against USF because without that, then they're on their heels heading into those other two. And when we look at the first three, the opportunity of a successful season we've just talked about really hinges on whether BYU can do that or not. Certainly they can recover like we talked about, but BYU in 06 and 07 had 11 and two seasons, started one and two. They had to win 10 games in a row. How do you feel like BYU could fare in those first three in your opinion? You know, I think USF is – BYU should win that game, but ESPN's FBI football power index gives USF a 35% chance to beat BYU in that opener. So according to ESPN's FBI, it's not a slam dunk. They have almost everybody back on both sides of the ball. And Jerry Bohannon, the quarterback of Baylor that won the Big 12 championship with the Bears last year and helped to beat BYU last year – he is now the starting quarterback for South Florida. So there's all kinds of reasons for BYU to take that game very seriously. Baylor has one of the best combinations, offensive line and defensive line, in all of college football. I mean, they will be a 
physical meat grinder in the trenches. Now, BYU is in better shape now because BYU also has one of the best offensive lines in college football. And it being early in the season, assuming they get out of USF healthy, they'll have a lot more depth to rotate through on their defensive line. But that'll be brutally physical. And then Oregon also has one of the best combinations of offensive line plus front seven defensive line and linebackers in all of college football. So so those two games right there at the very beginning of the, of the season will test BYU's not just skill, but test their physicality and their depth. I mean, there is a lot of risk there. But once again, a lot of opportunity because BYU is also better than it was. ESPN College Football Insider and Analyst Trevor Maddich is back on BYU Sports Nation. It feels dramatic, Trevor, to ask this and think this, but – does the overall success of BYU season hinge on the results of the first three games? It does not. I mean, you guys mentioned it. The if they if they win, if they go three and zero, I mean, as a hypothetical, that would be just astonishing, and it gives them a lot of slack in heading into another brutal month of October. If they go one and two then they've got to succeed in October in order to have the kind of season that they want. Because, I mean, we talk about Oregon and Baylor, both top 11 preseason poll. Then you've got in October Notre Dame and Arkansas. And those two are also two of the most physical offensive and defensive lines in all of college football, especially on the offensive side. So you've got four games, BYU, in September and then October against four of the most physical teams in the trenches that anybody will face all year long. And so if BYU struggles in September in those first three games, then it makes it imperative that they play exceptionally well against Notre Dame and Arkansas and win at least one of those, if not both. But if BYU can split Baylor and Oregon, then they go into October with an opportunity to split those two and maybe even do better then all of a sudden we look at this season in a completely different way because after that, the toughest game will be at Boise. And so BYU has great opportunities, but what you don't want to do is put yourself behind the curve from the very beginning. Now there's pressure. Now people are talking about you. Now you're wondering what you can really be, right? They're much better off starting fast. And starting fast means to get out of the blocks and perform well against all three of those teams. And if they can win two of those three games, then this season has great promise, even if they drop one of them in September. Absolutely. I love the way you quantified that, which is get to split with Baylor and Oregon, get to split with Notre Dame and Arkansas in some capacity. Obviously, if you can do better than that, that's great. But realistically, getting split in both would be very good. How do you feel about BYU this year and its potential to win, say, nine or ten games? Because a lot of the metrics and national analysts are saying BYU is kind of in the seven and eight range. We feel like BYU is more in the nine-plus range. How do you feel? I think from a skill standpoint and a depth standpoint, BYU is in as good a shape as they've been in a long, long time. And I think what analysts are looking at in some measure is FPI, Football Power Index. BYU is the underdog in five of their games. BYU, according to FPI, as we sit here today, is uh, an underdog at Boise with a 43 percent chance to win against the Broncos on their home field on Broncos home field and so uh, I think they're looking at that saying okay well how can BYU win a lot of those games especially because of the nature of, of the teams that they're playing uh, I agree with you though BYU's offensive line has a chance to be one of the best that they've ever had there 
This is a deep receiving core. If the tight ends are healthy, they will be a threat. You've got you've got a good rotation at running back with the transfer in from Cal. And then if Jaron Hall can stay healthy at quarterback, this offense should be absolutely phenomenal. Then it's a matter of staying healthy on defense, especially up front. And the key to their season, really the key to those big games in September and October, may come down to the defensive line being able to generate pass rush. That, to me, is the key. You know, They've had to really bring linebackers to get consistent pass rush. And this year, Coach Shiitake has talked about how this is maybe the fastest group of corners he's ever had. They may be able to leave those guys on an island a bit more and do some more blitzing and some crazy stuff up front. But still... The D-line has to be able to generate pass rush organically. And if they're able to do that, then I agree with you. That, that nine-win threshold, or maybe even more, uh, is available. But their, their floor will be determined by the health of the defense especially and the pass rush of the defensive line. The ceiling will be determined by the, the offense and if they're able to come together and be everything that we think they can be. Trevor, I'm hearing you talk about all the dynamics of this BYU football team that we have analyzed and overanalyzed ad nauseum over the last few months. And I'm looking at that number 25 ranking in the AP preseason poll and, and still kind of feeling like BYU, in my completely unbiased opinion, <laughs> that they're ranked a little bit lower than I thought they should have been. How do you feel about BYU's preseason ranking and where they stack up against the rest of the top 25? Yeah, not terribly biased, although I do see the color of the shirt that you're wearing. There. <laughs> I, uh, you know, the, being ranked 25, I think a lot of a lot of BYU fans would be disappointed by because I think this is a much better team than that. I think somewhere somewhere between maybe 18 and 15 it would be a good place to put them until we learn a bit more about their defense. But being ranked preseason hasn't happened for a while. What's yeah. it been? Like over a decade since they were ranked in the yep. preseason. 13 years. And, and that's a yeah, and that's important, and I think that is a testament to the the respect that BYU has been able to, to garner in the national media and through the national coaches as well with the way that they've performed over the last you know period of time under Coach Sataki. And so I think people look at BYU now a little bit differently than they did before. Instead of saying, hey, prove it, they say, you know what, we think you're really good, and they start that way. Now, the fact that they're in there at number 25 is a talking point, but it also is a point of visibility. Because, you know, the higher you start, when you win, the easier it is to stay up higher, right? And so they've got a lot of ground to make up in order to have the fantasy season that they want. The good news is, though, being ranked 25th in the, in the preseason has absolutely zero effect on that fantasy outcome. The hypothetical that the most rabid fans are thinking about every season, can BYU make the playoff? Well, their preseason ranking isn't going to affect that because the schedule that they have, if they have uh, no losses or even one loss, BYU is going to be in that discussion. No losses, they're in. They have to be. The, uh, with one loss, they're in the discussion. So BYU does control their own destiny there. So I, I, I see it as a positive that they're ranked at all preseason just because it hasn't happened for a long time. Now, keep in mind, I'm not predicting they're going to run the table. I'm saying that they will have a chance to win every game they play. And so we'll see what happens one by one by one. ESPN's Trevor Maddich says BYU will go undefeated this season. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. Let's talk about the Big Ten <laughs> uh, new TV deal. Comes out this morning, starting next fall, seven-year deal, $7 billion, uh, a bill a year, 62.5 mil average per team. What do you think of that? And then how do you think that affects BYU's uh, Big 12 deal coming up in 2025? 
I, I don't think it'll affect B, uh, the Big 12 deal directly. Obviously, the the teams not or excuse me, the conferences not named Big Ten and SEC are going to be way behind, way behind in terms of of money per school. But there's a couple things happening here. One is that as streaming continues to dominate, as binge watching continues to dominate, live sports continue to become more and more important because advertisers know that you can't record a, a live game and then watch it later. Really? It just people, you can, but people don't do that. They're right there in front of the TV. So they're not fast forwarding through commercials for the most part. They are, they're sitting there watching the game and there's a lot of value to that. And so we don't know the full effect of, the, of competition that may happen with streaming companies for the remaining grants of rights, for the remaining broadcast rights beyond the ACC, which has got 14 years to go on theirs, and then the <laughs> Big Ten and then the SEC. You know, as, as, the, as the Big 12 and Pac-12 come up, you know, the Pac-12 first and the Big 12, you've got, if you have competition among streaming companies, they will bid up the price because the Big 12 and the Pac-12 will be the, the next best thing that's available for them if they want to get into the live sports game. And that's important. And with this Big 10 deal, uh, NBC is a part of it, and they will be streaming games on Peacock. That's important because what is Discovery Plus thinking? What is Apple TV thinking? Does Netflix want to jump into this? Does Amazon Prime want to jump into more than they already have with the NFL Thursday night package? And so these are things that we don't know. So I wouldn't automatically assume that the Big 12 and the Pac-10 and, and Pac-12, Pac-10 now, I guess, going forward, I wouldn't automatically assume that they're going to be poppers. Let's wait and see what the next deal brings to see if there is competition among the streaming companies because that could be a huge game changer. Trevor Maddich is worth $62.5 million per year as a college football analyst, and I will die on Oof. that hill. Trevor, it's great to catch up with you again. Looking forward to a fantastic college football season. I want you to know that I got the 62 and a half so I could share that half with you guys. <laughs> we'll take anything we can get. Thanks, Trevor. All right, guys. Trevor Maddich. I'd take that half. He's back, baby. I'd take that half that means right college, now. That means college football is basically back. Yeah, we're so close, man. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Pressure from behind. Mangum flips it into the end zone. We've seen this before. Touchdown, BYU! Mitchell Jurgens climbs the ladder, plucks it out of the air, and nothing less than a prayer from Tanner Magnum. Well, uh, Tanner Mangum. But Tanger? Yes. Tanger? Uh, Tyler Magnum was also a great quarterback. Why show that clip? Why not show that clip as we welcome in BYU radio sideline reporter for Cougar football, Mitchell Jurgens, to the program. Mitch, does that get old watching that? No, no. That's, uh, yeah, the, the amount of times I've seen it, um, you'd, you'd think it would, but I, I love it. It's uh, living in the glory days. Okay, so so Jerem said that it's the greatest moment. Like for, I'm assuming a lot of people would say that. Do you? Is that your greatest moment to you personally? I mean, on the football field, it has to be. This is um, to to be in that position to make that catch. I mean, first off, it shouldn't have been me. It should have been 
Um, there, we had a number of, of taller targets on a, on a deep hill Mary that maybe would have been um, the better option. So for me, it was, I, I mean, absolutely, it goes down in, in uh, greatest moments for me on the football field. To do it at Lavelle after the Nebraska game, um, yeah, it is nothing short of amazing. I was fortunate to be in the right spot at the right time. So. Yeah, that was amazing. And Starman, it's like one of the greatest celebrations in BYU history. It's like up there with Steve Young, uh, her, you know, high knees uh, in 83 against Missouri. It was great. Okay, our question of the day is this. Mitch, will this season teach us – what will this season teach us about BYU's readiness to compete in the Big 12? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it can teach a lot. Um, as we look at this season, I mean, you look at the schedule, and this schedule that we have is – is yeah, we have less P5s on the calendar. I think it was than last season. We've got five this season. We had seven last season, um, but arguably more challenging uh, for this BYU team. And and so I think as we look at the um, just the ability for them to compete week after week, this is what the Big Twelve is going to be about, right? Um, the you know you don't you don't get many breaks in the schedule. There's a lot of competitive teams. That are winning, that have winning traditions, and so to to prove that hey BYU is ready to make that, that leap, um, they're going to have to to put together a pretty good season and and just get used to the fact that week after week you're playing competitive football teams that know how to win, um, and and with that said too, I think it's going to be a test of our depth. Um, we saw it last season as as we started to lose a couple of key players and and maybe the the quality of our performance declined a bit. And so I think this gives a huge opportunity for these, um, you know, um, you know, top-notch players to come in and do a fabulous job uh, for BYU if starters go down. Because a season, you know, in the Big 12 and even this season this year, you're going to need talent, you're going to need depth um, throughout the entire season. You know, Mitch, you, you touched on the schedule and obviously just some unbelievable matchups this year. And maybe the answer to these questions is the same, but what's the game that you're most looking forward to? And then as the sideline reporter, obviously you're, you get to go to all these different venues. What's the trip you're most excited for? Yeah, so the game I'm most excited for is, is for sure the first home game against Baylor. Um, if, if things go as planned and as it should – these are going to be two ranked teams in Provo at Lavelle Edwards Stadium um, under the lights. Um, you know, it's, it's a late kick. Um, I'm a huge fan of, of the late kicks at, at Lavelle. I think there's a special energy that's brought under the lights. Um, and so two, you know, should be 1-0 teams ranked in the top 25. And, and so I think that game, it's also going to be a revenge game for BYU. So coming in, um, they know how physical Baylor was the last time they played him. I think they're going to be ready for it. And, and so that game, I, I think I'm most excited for. Um, as far as the, the trip, um, I, I think I'd have to say the, the Notre Dame game in Vegas. Uh, selfishly, I wish we were playing Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Um, I, I wasn't fortunate enough to be um, traveling at the time when BYU went to Notre Dame and played them in their stadium. I think that could have been maybe a little bit more iconic for me, but um, you, you can't go wrong at the Legion Stadium. Um, it's going to be a fun game, a, a huge, app, uh, you know, an amazing atmosphere. And uh, hopefully at that time, too, we've got two pretty high ranked teams and, and a good battle at, uh, in Vegas. We're talking to Mitchell Jurgens on BYU Sports Nation, BYU football sideline reporter. BYU fans were hoping that Notre Dame game was in Provo. 
You wanted it at Notre Dame. I'm I, for those reasons. Yes, those games would yeah. have been epic, right? And BYU certainly had uh, opportunities to win there uh, in 20, 2012 and thirteen. Okay, let's talk about um, the series that BYU's going to end for a little while. We don't know uh, when BYU's going to play Utah State again. It sounds like they will. Boise State, they may not meet up for a long time, if ever again. Who knows? Um, which of those two series will you miss the most? Um, Boise State. Uh, I think the uh, the ongoing rivalry that we've had with Boise State has been pretty remarkable. I mean, I, I have a, a brief, you know, a little bit of a personal connection with with that rivalry, but um, it's it's always been competitive. Um, these these are teams that no matter where they sit in the rankings, ranked not ranked, this is a uh, you know whether we're playing on the blue turf or, or at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. It's always a battle. I mean, these are two very competitive teams, and it almost feels like when the teams, when the two teams get together on the field, um, I mean, you you never know what you're going to expect, right? Um, Boise pulls out their bag of tricks. I feel like in the past, BYU's even brought the bag of tricks against Boise um, to beat them where where they've beat a lot of others, and and so that's a that's definitely a series that um, I hope we can continue. Um, I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but. Uh, Definitely going to miss seeing the, the Cougars play the Broncos year after year. We have talked so much about this offense and the potential of it as a whole. But when you look at the individual players, Mitch, it, right at the top of that list has got to be Puka, Gunner. What are your expectations for Nakua and Romney in this offense this season? Yeah, I think they're going to have a huge season. Um, I'm a big believer that confidence is so key um, on the football field, right? And these are two players that are established veterans on the BYU roster, especially within the receiving core. They have the connection with Jaron Hall. And so honestly, I think the sky's the limit for both of them. Um, we talk about, and I've you know seen reports in camp. I mean, the, the wide receiver depth right now is top notch. Uh, with those two guys at the helm, um, you've got you know Chase Roberts, Cody Epps, um, Keanu Hill, even, um, you know, hearing a lot of good things about Braden Cosper um, and his just ability to make plays, um, very reliable, consistent receiver. And, and so I think that, you know, for this entire group, um, there's, there's so much at stake that, that gets BYU fans excited for as a former receiver, um, very excited for the, the potential that this group brings this year. And I mean, it's led by two guys, Puka and Gunner, who have done it before. They've been there. They've done that. And uh, I think confidence is going to be at an all-time high for both of them, which is going to reflect in, in their performance. All right, Mitch, you talked about Puka and Gunner. Who's a guy that isn't one of those two who you think will be a major factor this year among the receivers? Um, it, it's... It's hard not to say Keanu Hill, uh, the way that he finished last year was, was pretty remarkable. Um, you know, he was given opportunities to step up and make plays and, and he did that. So I, I'm super excited to see what he can do uh, for the Cougs this season. Um, I, I also, I, I want to see Chase Roberts on the field. Um, I don't know if this comes as, as my new hometown. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an American Fort guy now. Um, never thought I'd say that, but uh, that's, that's where I live. Yeah. And, and with Chase Roberts, just what he did at American Fork his senior year, I think he just absolutely dominated, um, you know, almost 100 catches, close to 1,800 yards, 18 touchdowns. Those are, that's a ridiculous stat line. I, I'd love to see that guy get loose and get opportunities. Um, I, I think he's got the potential to, to truly take over an offense. Um, but, but obviously, he's, he's learning from the greats. 
with Puka and Gunner, but uh, he's definitely someone I'm high on and excited to, to watch play for the Cougs this season. Mitchell, how likely do you think it is that BYU has at least one 1,000-yard receiver this year? You know, to be honest, I don't think it's likely. Um, and the reason for that is how much depth there is at the at the receiver position. Um, you know, as we look at even when I played, I mean, I don't think I was part of a team where we had a thousand yard receiver. And I think it was just collectively, we had a ton of talent, um, a, a ton of um, great playmakers on the offensive side that demanded attention. And so with, yes, I, I mean, I think Puka and Gunner both can be 1000 yard receivers. Um, but as far as it actually happening, I think there's just too many targets to go around because uh, we're not even taking into consideration the, the tight ends. We haven't talked about them yet. Uh, but there's a lot of talent at that position who's, who's going to demand some attention from Jaron. So um, I, I don't think we'll see a thousand yard receiver. I'd love to see Puka and Gunner get as close to that as possible. Uh, but that, if they don't get there, that absolutely doesn't mean that they were impactful this season um, and that Jaron had you know, a great connection with both of them. Let's talk about those tight ends. Isaac Rex coming off of a, a broken foot against USC, but he said he's uh, on a pitch count until game one, and hopefully we'll go with that point. Dallin Holker has been a guy that we've been excited about in 2018 before his mission last year. Uh, you know, 200 yards, 235 yards. What kind of expectations do you have for those two? Yeah, those two specifically, I'm, I'm high on their ability to contribute. I think Dallin Holker specifically, he's – He's got to be one of the most athletic tight ends I've seen. Um, just his ability to move and catch. I mean, he, he catches the ball like a receiver. Um, and, and so I love watching him play. As, as long as he can stay healthy, I think he can have a big year. Um, and then Isaac Rex, I mean, that's just a big target that is incredible in the red zone, as we've seen here at BYU. Um, and again, I think he's he's a, a veteran player that's been there. He's done that. He has experience on the field, and, and that confidence is going to show as he steps in. And so those are two tight ends that um, I think we've got um, a lot of confidence in, in both of them, and, and they can prove this season that they're just as, um, just as able to make the big plays as, as the receiver group can. Well, it's going to be a great season. We're excited about it. Thanks for joining the program, and uh, we're going to hear from you a bunch this year on BYU Radio on the sidelines, Mitchell. Hey, thanks, guys. Pleasure. Thanks, Mitchell. It. Mitchell Jurgens. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. ESPN's college football power rankings, just like the preseason Associated Press poll, have BYU right at number 25. Now, the power rankings did add the following comment, and I quote, Can the Cougars get off to a strong start? Because they'll face Baylor and Oregon in the second and third games of the season. What? A one and two start is clearly on the table. Continues. If that happens the rest of the season won't have serious stakes because they are an independent team. It's precisely the scenario to show why joining the Big 12 Conference will be such a great move for the program. If the Cougars can get through those two games, Baylor and Oregon, 5-0 looks doable heading into a game against Notre Dame in Las Vegas. Amen. Okay, Jerem, huge first three games set for BYU. Does the success of the 2022 season hinge on the outcomes of the first three games of the season. It does not. 
It certainly will help, uh, but you can look to 06 and 07 uh, as you know examples of hey, even if you stumble out of the gates, you can still you can still make something out of that season for sure. Now, uh, in those seasons, BYU did not play Notre Dame and Arkansas and at Boise State, if you will. In those seasons, they had tough Mountain West Conference games, but not tough like that. So certainly, I think BYU needs to go two and one at least to maintain those goals of kind of nine plus, right? We're assuming that uh, in BYU's big four, the the hope, at least for me, tell me what you think, is to split in those two and two. Is that how you feel? For sure, okay. yeah. And in, in the Power Five games, and there are five on three, the schedule this year. I have BYU slated to go three and two. Three and two. This gives you uh, no room, if we want BYU to go 10 and two in the regular season, to have a G5 stumble. Last year, the G5 was uh, more of an issue than the P5s. BYU went six and one versus Power Fives, but lost twice to G5s, one in a bowl game, of course, as we've talked about. So it, I don't know that it hinges on it. You, I, I can see the argument for yes, where it's like, well, if you go one and two, how are you going to split with Notre Dame and Arkansas? I do think Arkansas is a winnable game at right, home. Right. But it is right after Notre Dame, and that's going to be a physical contest. comes down to defining success at that point, right? Yeah, like, it, if like what is success? Right. If you're like – I think we're in the same boat here of, of nine-plus regular season. That would be a massive nine plus success. Nine-plus regular season. Then, then you need to go – if you go one and two out of the gate, you're, you're in trouble. BYU's got to beat South Florida, of course, and then – Split, Baylor-Oregon is totally acceptable, right? And then, let's be honest, the split with Notre Dame and Arkansas is, is good as well. Um, and we'll ask Trevor Maddich's opinion on, like, these big four games. There will be another game that will merge bigger than one of these four, probably. That's just how football plays out. Like, maybe it's Boise State. Maybe Utah State's friggin' awesome again or something. I yeah, don't know. What, what if Boise State's like, have one loss or undefeated? They're what a top-20 team. What if Boise is Boise they're back to their normal what if, what if Boise State's top same? 20 program self. Okay, here's how I'd quantify this, by the way. One and two is, oh, crap. <laughs> Three and oh is, whoa, this might be special. Uh, two and one is, we're on track. Let's go. Three and oh would be magical. Literally. Straight up Baylor magical. Baylor and Oregon? If BYU beats South Florida, Baylor, and Oregon, and they start 3 and oh, they'll be a top eight team in the country. BYU being top, they'll be in the, up they will the be in the top ranking. Eight. Seriously, like top ten at worst. If you beat ten and eleven in the preseason rankings, back to back weeks, on top of winning, hopefully in an impressive fashion at USF, the Cougars will be a top ten team. Two and one feels like the mark of any realistic shot of BYU winning like nine games, certainly ten games. Like if BYU is going to win ten regular season games, they have to start minimum at a minimum. Yeah. Two and one. Yep. So how do you define success? Because we're asking, okay, does the success of BYU season hinge on the first three games? Well, if you define success by 10 wins, then yeah, it probably does hinge on the results of the first three games because now BYU has to get a split against Oregon and Baylor and start two and one. Ten's high. Like nine is pro to, to me is probably like... Yes. You if and I feel like nine, yes. eight and four. I'm a little disappointed, frankly. I think this team's really good. Nine would be a success. I also think the teams we're always playing are pretty good, like those four. But, again, let's play those out. Chances are those aren't four top 25 teams when the season finishes. If that's the case, eight and four would actually be acceptable historically. We just feel very confident about this team, the momentum of the last two years, the experience you bring back with extra COVID year. It's like, why can't this team go nine and three plus? I said yesterday, I'm a little concerned if BYU doesn't go 9-3+. and three plus. 
with this group because they have more experience than maybe any BYU team ever spent because of COVID? Like, how, how is BYU going to compete for Big 12 titles if this team can't handle this schedule? That's what I want. Like, yeah. I need to see. Sure. And certainly you can elevate the talent and the whatever. But, like, BYU, we, how much better do we expect BYU to be in the Big 12 in terms of on the field, in terms of talent? Like, we expect a bump, but I don't know that I expect, like, a 25% bump, maybe a 10 or 15% bump. So this team needs to show us that BYU in the future at some point is going to compete for and win a Big 12 title. So, yes. Against we'll, this schedule. We will notice it, we think, in recruiting the most, right? Like BYU more Kingsley's, getting better. More yes, and so on. Getting more of those yeah. high-level yep. recruits. Uh, but doesn't – I mean, going back to the numbers of, of the first three games, just to close out this thought, doesn't a one-and-two start scream eight-and-four season? Yeah. It screams eight-and-four. You're headed four. that direction. Because if you start one and two, now you're like, oh man, if we want to win go nine seven games, seven and two at that point. You want to win nine games after you start one and two in the regular season? You got to go eight and one. Yeah. Like oh, so, and you still have to play Notre Dame, Arkansas, and at Boise yes. State. Seven and two is realistic at that point. You reset expectations. One and two and start. Go, we're going for eight screams wins. eight and four in the regular yep. season. Two and one. Now we're talking. Now we're on par with what we think BYU should be capable of doing. They yep. should get nine wins. They should. Start 2-1. and one. We think they're good enough to do that. They are good enough. Let's right. go. Okay, topic two. The Big Ten has the richest TV contract in college <laughs> league history with an average of at least a billion dollars a year for seven years. And its new TV contract amounting to about $62.5 million a year per school starting in the fall of 2023. $1 billion. Nice work, Rutgers in Maryland. Uh, with that in mind, what are we hoping for with the Big 12 deal in 2025 now that we know what happened with the Big Ten? Uh, we're hoping for the Big 12 to do what Texas Tech's athletic director said it would do, and that is maintain what they are picking up right now. <laughs> I don't see how that's going to happen. Which is somewhere in I, the neighborhood of they did 42.6 40 million a year. Yeah. Like if if the Big 12 can be anywhere close to that number, fantastic. Like if it, frankly, if the Big 12 can be half of the 62 and a half million dollars per year per school. I think they're in a pretty good place. That's where I'm at too, Spence, because 42.6 feels high without Texas and Oklahoma. Yes, there's quality that you're bringing into the league, obviously. We feel in a biased way in every opinion on the show. Is that, uh, yeah, the Big 12 is, is in a good spot. But you didn't, you didn't add a USC, UCLA, Texas, Oklahoma. 40, 40 mil is going to be a lot. Now, what we hope is that next summer when probably they start negotiating the new TV deal that kicks in in 2025, that we continue to have this sort of inflation and, and bloated numbers and maybe streaming and someone else comes in. We'll see, man. But, like, the Big Ten and SEC, it's another level. is never going to be in a league or the Big 12 won't be a league that approximates that. Let's just – we're all on the same page there. If you don't think that, you don't get how it works. Yeah, we, we hope for half. And a reminder, in 23 and 24, BYU will get half of the existing deal. And then in 25, BYU gets a full share. So they're going to get $21 million-ish in the first two years before which, they're fully integrated into whatever the new deal yes, is. Which we think about doubles what BYU has. We don't know that number publicly, but it, it's a significant increase for BYU. To Any, double your number is pretty awesome. Anything in the ballpark of $31 million a year for the new Big 12 contract losing Texas and Oklahoma is a major win. I think what BYU fans really want, though, is that it's $1 more than the Pac-12 Absolutely. That's, I was just going to say. That it's more than Utah we in talked some way. About that this. matters to the fans. Yes. We talked about this matters. a few weeks ago. 
All that matters to BYU fans is that BYU is getting more money to their program per year than Utah and the Pac-12. <laughs> hold, that's, on, hold on, that's what it has come. John Wilder, what's up? Do you, what's the latest? From it the is Pac-12? petty. It's silly, <laughs> but it is the reality of what BYU fans want. Well, I don't care what BYU gets. Is it more than the Pac-12 in Utah? Yeah. Oh, okay, win. Okay, thirty-one million. I feel like that could happen, like with inflation, and the, we're seeing just like these massive blown-up contracts. Clearly, with the Big Twelve, or sorry, the Big Ten. Like I think thirty-one million isn't out of the realm of possibilities. If it's forty, if it's forty, that would million be a per massive school, success. And I do feel like I need to clear something up because I have a lot of fans ask me, "What about the Big Twelve basketball, though, Spencer?" Because you have to factor in the value of that too. And I'm like, it's a little bit different when TVs, uh, TV stations, and networks are signing up college football teams. Football is king. Yeah, like no, no one's arguing. Basketball that. may have a little bit of a sway in this. Okay, some chips that they can move. This is not about basketball. As good as the Big 12 basketball will be, this is a football ideal with the TV money. And so they are paying primarily 99% for a football product. So, again, as good as the Big 12 basketball is going to be, and it'll be amazing, it's not going to have a ton of sway in getting BYU and these football deals, these football contracts, the TV networks, more money. Yeah, I wish it did, but it's not going to have a ton of chips in that matter. Yes, it's all about football. By the way, I found a publicly uh, listed information space where uh, all sports revenue for BYU was listed. I believe this was from last year. Okay. It didn't say 2021, but I assume it was the last year. Who revealed this private information? <laughs> well, it's, it's public information. Uh, <laughs> as an uh, equity and athletics data analysis. Uh, some of this, I assume, it includes the TV money that BYU gets. BYU's revenue from athletics, all sports, was 39.6 mil. Wow. So d- doing well. You, you add another uh, you know, 10 mil, and then later maybe another 10 mil. Hey, you're doing things that you haven't been able to do. And BYU Athletics does a tremendous job of selling its product, and hopefully it's yes. worth even more in the Big 12. Hey, in Brett Yormark and his uh, now Big 12 leadership, we trust. He's a businessman. Jay-Z, can you come through for us? Can you come through for BYU in the Big 12? (laughs) Jay-Z. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. All right, the Cougars walk into the season with a tough schedule as chronicled nearly daily on this program. Using the simple metric of opponent win percentage from last season, BYU... 13th toughest schedule in the nation. Simple metric, but still. Utah's 107th, by the way. It's part of a multi-year build of tough schedules as the Cougars prepare for Power 5 inclusion. We're all stoked about that. So, Shep, what will this season teach us about BYU's readiness to compete in the Big 12? It's an interesting question because I I, I don't know if it's going to teach us anything more or maybe teach is not the right word I would use. Maybe re-emphasize how important it is that the program has depth moving forward. And I, because I think we've seen over the last couple of years, and you just alluded to it, sort of ramping up to the schedule. We've seen over the last couple of years, BYU playing schedules like this with multiple power fives, whether it's three, whether it's four, whether it's five, whether it's six, whatever the case, seven, seven, whatever the case may be, BYU has been playing tougher and tougher schedules. So I think from a scheduling standpoint, BYU is sort of already there in challenging itself enough 
to see where it stacks up compared to what a, a conference schedule would look like as a P5. So I, I don't know if you necessarily learn anything because you've been dealing with this for the last couple of years, but I think it can reemphasize stuff, like I said, like the importance of depth or maybe how you, how you match up specifically from a scheme standpoint with what's going on in your conference. Because obviously, there's a different brand of football in the Big 12 than maybe what you're going to see in the Pac-12 or the SEC. You know, every, every conference has its, its own style of play. So I think it sort of just reinforces some of the things that BYU has already tried to do over the last couple of years, knowing that this was a possibility and certainly last year realizing it's happening. In terms of style of play, BYU actually plays more like a Big Ten team than a Big 12 team. Big 12 is built on speed, and then defensively, you're just going to give up points. BYU tries not to do that, right? Echoes of Ben, don't break from Bronco <laughs> Mendenhall. Um, that, a couple of thoughts. One is, will BYU have a more experienced team than this team ever? COVID has allowed fifth-year seniors like Peyton Wilgar and Lopini Cato and Gunnar Romney and others to be here. They shouldn't be on this team. COVID allowed an extra year, which is awesome. BYU returned so many pieces from last year. Think about it on offense. You got Samson Nakua and no Tyler Algier. And, uh, you know, that, that, then one other notable name who I'm forgetting. That's kind of it. Defensively, it's a lot of the same guys back. Um, this, this is a special group in terms of the ability to be crazy experienced with this team. So I'm not sure it's a one-for-one one in terms of, yes, BYU will have a team like this in terms of experience and talent in the Big 12. The hope is that in the Big 12, BYU continues to get more talented, more Pukas, more Kingsleys, more Jarens, and so on, to where you can compete for a Big 12 title. About cloning? Yes. Uh, I just finished Clone Wars <laughs> on Disney+, Plus, so it's all about I would the take clones. A, I would take a couple more Jarens, Kingsleys, yes. Gunners. Order 66 <laughs> is coming against the Big 12. Let's go. Um, uh, on the field, right? Uh, and then development is something that BYU's been really good at. Think about where Blake Freeland has come from yeah. as, as a uh, left tackle. This dude was a quarterback in high school. Like, he wasn't a four-star fight. He wasn't Kingsley in high school. Like, you can have two different kinds of guys be first-round draft pick types. And Tyler Algier obviously was a walk-on, a linebacker, and then a running back, and we've chronicled his story well. BYU is very good at development. BYU overachieves often. You look at the ranking of recruiting classes and the types of guys that BYU gets on paper, but then you see BYU's performance on the field. BYU's not the 60th best or 80th best team in the country consistently, like its recruiting ranking. It's in the top 25 the last two-plus years. So... I want to say that, yes, this season is, okay, if this experienced group can handle this schedule, BYU can compete in the Big 12. I don't necessarily feel that BYU will compete next year in the Big 12 if this season goes well and BYU loses a lot of pieces. It'll be make a bowl game. The standard will change, not the go for 10 wins thing we're saying right now. This is the most confidence we've walked uh, into a season with for BYU football since 2009. Really since 2009. 2013 was an 8-5 and five team with a junior Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams. We were stoked. Um, and then, and then uh, you know, 2014, Taysom Hill gets hurt, and uh, it's a tough season. Jamal doesn't play, uh, you know, uh, was that 2014 or 15? That's a tough year, right? Luckily, we got him back in 16. So I'm not sure BYU is going to have exactly this kind of experience due to COVID in the Big 12. But the hope is that BYU continues to – handle these types of schedules to the point where, yes, one year you can go, you can go nine and three, 
maybe, and maybe you have two losses in conference and you're that second team in the title game, and New Year's Six possible if you lose that title well, game. Well, and, and this is obviously not breaking news or anything, but look, any team that goes from a G5 into a Power 5, we've seen that there is a learning curve and there's a, there's a, a trajectory that you have to get on from a recruiting standpoint that's going to take some time. Now, BYU has known it's going to the Big 12 for a year. So you've had a year's worth of time to begin that recruiting trajectory up. And it goes to what I was saying in terms of the depth. It goes to what you're saying in terms of getting better players as you get into these conferences. I agree with what you said. It's, it's a little different with th this year specifically to try and gauge how the rest of or the, the next couple of seasons are going to go in the Big 12 because this is so unique in terms of the amount of production that you have. Now, you're going to have at the end of the year guys who are seniors that are going to naturally going to move on, but you have so many guys who have NFL potential on this roster at key positions that will likely not be here because they're going to have opportunities at the next level. So that's another reason where it's very difficult to take this year specifically and say that you can learn a whole lot that may help you maybe next year. But I, but I think that's where I think that's where the depth comes in, which ultimately is recruiting and and ultimately building this program stronger, which, we're, which we've seen since Kalani came in in 2016. It has is, it is steadily got better. The recruits have got better. Better transfers for Every, sure. Everything. There's no question. Development. Yes. yes. So, so this year specifically is, is different, and next year certainly will be because all the things that we're talking about that are the positives going into this year probably aren't going to be there going into next year because you're going to lose so much. Jaron Hall is in his fifth season here. Right. Like you forget, he just sat out 2020. Like and it, could have another year if he wanted it. Yes. <laughs> I don't think he'll be I, here. I don't think right? he will We don't either. think he yes. will. Um, I also, uh, let's phrase it differently. Like if this team can't handle this schedule to the point of, say, 9+, plus, will BYU be able to do that in the Big 12? Like, the hope is you can get better, certainly. But, like, this team's extra experienced and extra talented, um, you know, most talented, in, in my opinion, since 2009. Uh, if they can't handle this schedule, how, how long does it take for BYU to be able to handle it? Look, I, because this is a special group yes, in terms of experience and yes. talent. I, I, I appreciate the question, and I understand what you're saying. But. But. <laughs> Every season is so unique, and I don't know if it's fair to say that because of all this. Look, and, I, and I'm not trying to lessen what's, the expectations. What's unfair about it? Well, every season has its own set of circumstances. You, every opponent is different. You may have your best team, but you may also face everybody else's best team, so the wins and losses theoretically could not uh, be what you thought. And it doesn't mean that you weren't as good as you thought. Maybe that you ended up going up against some teams that were at their peak, and maybe their peak was better than yours. So I understand what you're saying, and we all think this team is capable of nine, possibly ten wins. There's no question about it. But I, I think it's somewhat unfair to say that, that, say, if they don't reach nine or ten, that it can never be because this is the best right. production we've ever – or the most returning production we've ever had. I don't know if that's fair. It just intimidates me a little bit if we think, hey, in the next – uh, you know, two-plus years, BYU, we want BYU to compete for a Big 12 title. It's like, then show us this year with the most experienced team maybe yeah. in BYU oh, I get history. Yeah, I don't I know how it. to quantify that very well. But the, the COVID extra guys and the NFL pub, this team needs to go nine-plus. Like, if they're eight or fewer, it's like, well, shoot, we need to do something that we're not doing. 
and maybe that's uh, you need a couple of Kingsleys, a couple of Pukas, or whatever, if you will. Again, I don't know. Cloning. Get them out of high school. Let's go. Okay, uh, all of this leads up to not games against Notre Dame or Baylor, Oregon, but South Florida. You know, the team's focused on South Florida. We are focused. <laughs> we're, we're looking a year on ahead. A power already. five league. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Great. Jason Shepard has taken his talents to uh, the practice field nice. with BYU football to go one-on-one -on -one with BYU offensive line coach Daryl Funk. Among the topics discussed, yeah, bring in the funk. You better believe Jason said that when he got back from the interview. Uh, <laughs> Deciding on starters and the emotions of coaching such a big physical bunch. This is Daryl Funk, one-on-one -on -one with Jason Shepard. All right, Coach, we always get to hear from the players how camp is going. From a coaching standpoint, specifically the offensive line, how are things going for you guys? Well, I think they're going good, you know, and I know fans and media probably get here tired of hearing the coach speak. Yeah, it's a work in progress. It is true, but I think it's going real well. You know, we have... Our, our up days, we have our down days. Uh, our defense, I think, is is terrific and doing a lot of good things. So we kind of battle back and forth and just trying to get better every day. But overall, uh, we're, we're heading the right direction for sure. I think that's something that may get overlooked a whole lot in terms of who the offensive line and the offense in general has to go against and how much that helps or hurts how a how a, a line or a position progresses through camp. You touched on it, being able to go against this defense how much does that help you, not just in terms of getting better, but in an evaluation process as well? Well, it's it's a huge help to evaluate because if all you're doing is going against you know younger kids or scout team or or whatever, and you, you don't get a real true evaluation. But when you start going against Zoe and and Peely and Peyton and those kind of guys, uh, it, it gives you an idea. And and even though the scheme we're facing on a daily basis isn't the same as we may see, still it's it's good on good. Guys uh, that know how to play defense giving us trouble, and we block it sometimes good. But, but yeah, it's, it's huge to go against real good players. From, from your standpoint, you've obviously been doing this a long time. How does how you approach the offensive line and coaching it change from year to year, or is it maybe even practice to practice? How do you handle that? Well, that's a great question. I think about that a lot. When I was a younger O-line coach, I probably used to beat the heck out of them and, and just everything had to be full and live and, and hitting and everything from individual all the way to the team. Uh, I don't do that anymore, so I probably got smarter that way. Probably, if anything, I've gotten simpler in what I want to do over the years because the simpler the schemes are, the less rules you have linemen uh, to have to have, the faster they play. And defenses these days, they run fast, they're fast twitch, all that. It, the, it's moving pictures, you know, no one just sits there and takes on blocks anymore, they move. So, so I gotta have guys that can do that. But, uh, but it's, it's interesting, it's a great question. And I, you know, here after 33, 34 years, whatever it is, I don't pretend to have all the answers. But the other part of it is each group you have every year is a little different. This is a veteran group. This is guys that have played a lot of football. It doesn't mean you don't coach them, but maybe you can coach certain aspects that are a little more advanced than a freshman or a little more advanced. I've had teams where 
well, four of the five starters were redshirt freshmen. I've had that before. That's a way different thing. So these kids here in this room are great, and they, they make it a, a lot of fun to coach. And, and like I said, we're on the right track. I've got to imagine, too, the, the modern athlete is so much different in terms of their preparation before camps even start. We see this in college, we see this in pros. Nobody's showing up to training camp to get in shape in the pros. Nobody's showing up to fall camp at that point just to get in shape for the season. How much has that changed, the, the shape and the, uh, the stuff that these guys do in the off season coming into a year? How much has that changed? It's, it's changed a lot for what we used to have to do. And like you say, and anyone that does come into camp these days that's not in great shape, it's a tough road to hoe because they're work, they're practicing and working themselves in the shape. Some might have early morning, you know, cardio club with Dan or something like that. But that hasn't really been the case the last eight or ten years. When I was a young coach, or even 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was, uh, used to incorporate some conditioning drills after practice. We, you know, our guys, we, we get our conditioning in, in our team stuff and in our indie, but we used to have to run after practice. Uh, a lot of my individual drills were agility drills, which you really don't need to do anymore because Nuu does those all summer and everything. So when you get to camp, you're not a finished product as a football player because we still got to install the offense, learn all that, but you should be pretty dang close to, to uh, at least camp shape, if not pretty close to season shape by that. So it is different. When you look at this offensive line right now, you already touched on the fact that it is absolutely a veteran group. What excites you about what you see and its potential? Well, whenever you have, uh, I mean, the better players you have, the better coach you are. And any, any coach that <laughs> pretends that's not the case is living in a dream world. Uh, so we got really good, talented players. So that's a great place to start. We got kids that have played a lot of football, so the experience uh, really helps. And when you have the combined things, you got talent and you got experience, you know, it should be a really good group. Probably my biggest concern at this point is uh, because we haven't settled on five and because I don't know the rotation yet, uh, we haven't gotten into that flow. But, but with two and a half weeks left, we got time to do that. But that would be the next step. How close do you think you are to, to naming or maybe not naming publicly, but at least knowing who those starting five are? Close. I'm close, and what we'll probably do is go into that game with, well, obviously the five starters, uh, and then probably a, a third guy on the right side, a third guy on the left side that, that gives us a chance to rotate and keep guys fresh. I'm probably thinking a seven-man rotation to start, but I'm getting close to it. It'll probably be early next week. What's, what's maybe the variables that's holding that up right now? Is it that you just have a lot of guys that are vying for playing time? I think it's that, uh, you know, these guys are graded. Everything they do in practice is graded. So you have a number grade, you have their one-on-one -on -one pass pro grade. You have, uh, you know, you, you, you keep track of missed assignments. I'm doing everything to, to calculate that part of it. But at the same time, you, 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 I am taking a heavy look at, okay, who, who had the best rhythm today as an offense? Who gave our offense the best chance to win today? Was it this group? Was it this group? So once it's all factored in, I think uh, I think it'll be a feel for not only who are the best five players, but who plays uh, the best together. And we're starting to really see patterns of that. We're mixing and matching a little bit, and that's uh, you know. And I partly we do it because we have to cross train guys because they might be a backup here or a third here. But partly we're doing it to give these guys every chance they can to show who should be in the top five. And we're getting real close to that that spot right now. How much are you able to implement scheme for week one's opponent at this point? We've been doing it really from the start. 
sneaking it in, sneaking it into meetings. Uh, we've, we've been, you know, uh, looking at those defenses. Cause like I said, our defense is really good, but we won't see most of that stuff. There's some stuff we'll see, but, but we've, we've had to do that. So when we have our little scouted run periods or different things, we've already, uh, now some of the kids don't realize it yet, <laughs> but when we start getting into full scout teams, they're going to be like, oh, wait, we've, we've seen that. Oh, yeah, we've, we've been blocking that for two weeks. So that's what we've been doing. What's been your early impressions, or, or maybe you've had a lot longer to look at it, um, the, the opposing line that you guys will be facing in week one? What stood out to you about South Florida from what you've seen? Well, obviously, they got a lot of new guys and new transfers and different things. So, you know, we're, we're evaluating. The, some of those guys didn't have much tape from their schools. They transferred. Some did. Uh, some of the guys that played last year and in a different scheme, you know, we saw them last year. So it's uh, and I think our, our analysts and our GAs are doing a real good job of, of setting that up for us. We're not into that full time as a full time staff yet. Like I said, we're just kind of doing this and that. We're still kind of in camp mode. But as we switch, our young coaches have set us up real good and they've got tape of of these guys. Sometimes that's hard in this transfer portal era. You got to look at you know, Minnesota tape and try to find a kid on that tape, or you got to find a couple clips from Missouri or wherever else, Kansas State. And so it'll be a little, it'll be a little bit of a mystery going into that first game. But, uh, but the good thing about our system uh, is, is the rules have been set here for two or three years. Uh, they haven't changed much. Uh, so if something, we get a different defense that we're expecting or something else, we've got rules that cover all that. We just adjust to it and go. But, but we're starting on that. Uh, the question you asked is a great We're starting on that already. We, we hear the term the, the dog days. At, at this point where you're, you're more than halfway in and you can kind of see the end in sight, do you have to mix things up or is, is it getting a little too monotonous in terms of camp or, or have the guys handled that well at this point? They've handled it well. We've had a couple down days. and. You know, kids are kids. You're going to have a, a day or two where they either just don't not ready to practice, or uh, you know, our defense just is all over in one day. That's going to happen. We got a good defense. That's going to happen. But I chuckle a little bit because my definition of the dog days of <laughs> I say two a days sometimes. We don't have two a days, and I was all for that. When when they get it away with two a days, I worked with a lot of coaches that thought, oh, kids are soft these days. I was for it because it helped cut down concussion. I was for all that. I'm good with that. But by the same token, these kids don't really understand, and I'm glad they don't. Having someone bang on your door with a baseball bat in the dorm at 6 in the morning and go all day and then cut you loose at 10 o'clock, hand you a snack, and send you to bed, they don't, they don't understand that. Our kids have a little bit more free time to do some stuff, watch tape, and most important, get rest. So I chuckle a little bit at it, but, uh, but in a relative sense, uh, they have done a really good job for what we give them. All right, last question. How much are you enjoying this? Like we said, you've been doing this a long time, but you look like you're still having fun out there. I love this. I, I, I really do. Um, it's, uh, you know, I said this, I say this to recruits, I say this to my kids in the room, and, and it's true. I got in this profession for the right reason uh, back long ago because the game was great to me. I was given a full-ride scholarship. I had coaches that believed in me, and it turned into a career. And here I am 30-some-odd years later, but I love what I do. I pinch myself, especially when I'm looking at these mountains. I'm a mountain guy. I'm from Colorado, but these are a lot closer than Fort Pretty Collins. awesome, isn't it? Awesome. I get caught off guard just like I am now. But what I was trying to say is I pinch myself. One, you know, I get to coach a game, uh, you know, that I love. Two, I get to coach kids, whatever their ages are, 18 to 25, whatever it is. And, and three, I got to work with a staff like this and that loves what they're doing. So 
I, I'm really fired up. And you get to do media, right? That's you're I looking get forward to, to that, do right? Media. Okay, I'm, that's what we like to hear. I'm ready. Uh, yeah, I get to do media. That's the <laughs> yeah. fourth one. Just wanted to make sure we got that on camera, Coach. Thank okay. you so much. Great insight, and good luck the rest of the Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks. Daryl Funk has a very interesting and tough decision to make before USF. Like you've got eight dudes, okay? The legitimate can be like, group. yeah, we'll Speaking start. Of depth. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the depth is there on the offensive line. It's yeah. You got eight guys. You got to pick five. Also, a note, I would like my offensive line coach to look like an offensive line coach, and Daryl Funk looks like an yes. offensive line coach <laughs> and sounds like an offensive line coach. I want that guy to be a little gruff, like in appearance and voice, just because he's been getting after it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Plus, he has a fun last name for broadcasters. You know? Yeah, we I was like thinking stuff. about all of the previous offensive line coaches, and they all kind of fit that bill. They all fit that Garrett, bill. Garrett 2J, uh, Ryan Pugh. It'd be hilarious if they just had, like, some skinny chump like Even me. <laughs> Coaching the O-line, like, yeah, these guys are big and tall. Certainly, I mean, Jeff Grimes was the offensive coordinator, but he like, certainly you spent know? a ton of time with the offensive line. Like, Grimes fits that mold. Oh, yeah, like Eric kind Mateos, of a deeper voice, like, like, a, like a little bit of facial yes. hair. Yeah. Honor Coats, like, you're close. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Atlanta Falcons posted a rookie spotlight video of Tyler Algier where he outlined his journey to BYU in the NFL. We love Tyler. Who will have more rushing yards this year? Tyler Algier with the Falcons or Lopini Katoa with the Brighams? Oh, I love Lopini Katoa. He's more of a combo back than Tyler's going to be in Atlanta this year. So Lopini catches a lot of footballs. Straight up rush yards, it's, I think it's going to be Tyler, and it's not going to be close, Jeremy. Mike like, Davis was the second uh, leading don't. rusher. He had 500 yards last year. Mike Davis Lop is no longer with the Falcons. Right. It's Cordero Patterson As and the Tyler main guy. Algier. Now, and here's the other thing that Tyler has going for him. This season, he's got 17 games to do it. Lopini's only got 13. Right. Lopini's previous high was 34 yards a game on average. Can Tyler average? And so... Taking into consideration more games, all Tyler needs to do is average more than 26 yards a game to beat Lopini's previous season high. Yeah. Like, it's going to be Tyler. Lopini uh, rushed for 423 last year. I think Tyler, yeah, outdoes him in that way. So maybe we need to go per game uh, and yeah, look at this later. Yeah, more yards per game? Yeah. Then it's a little bit per closer, right? Per game probably a more fair competition. Yeah. yeah. Or if you did uh, total offense, meaning any pass, rush, catch right total offense is a really total, interesting conversation yeah because it's taking into account the receiver exactly yeah. now that's well, very that's very we'll close. look at that later in the season okay jake crane a host of a sports talk show called crane and co also said sounds like a law firm the state of utah is the most underrated college football state yep. do you agree with jake crane you made some great points that i agree with obviously the fact that it's the only state with three ranked teams in the final AP poll last year. It was pretty cool. Utah State's the key to that, right? He even we, brought up Weber State and the FCS. You think of Cal California, Texas, Florida, that BYU outdid even uh, you know those states pretty good. You know Michigan, Ohio, you'd, you'd think could put out sometimes multiple with Cincinnati, Ohio State, and so on. Yeah, only three million people that live here, but Cork Canyon's become this national power. Yeah. You even yeah. think about basketball, yeah. Spence, Wasatch Academy is a top 10 team. There's some good ball here, like pound for pound. Utah's pretty awesome, man. I don't know. And Tim Brando, our guy, he's always been a big proponent of BYU. He's our guy? I didn't know that. He quoted, this is pure college football truth, quote tweeting Jake Crane. Yeah, Utah. And then at the, at the bottom we put paid advertising. 
I mean, seriously, what what other state the size of Utah with a population Nobody. of just over three million people That's has the point. is producing three top twenty-five caliber football teams in the same season? Yeah, and granted, it was one season. One season. But right now, BYU and Utah are in this top twenty-five mode, which right. is pretty awesome. Yeah, Utah State's in a great place. Yep. And like I said, he brought up Weber State, good FCS program. Jay Hill. Shout out to our guy Jay Hill for sure. Absolutely. Right. On we go, Jer. Okay, uh, what would be the bigger top 44 win this season, Boise State or Utah State? Uh, at Boise State for sure. Everything on the line. Maybe the last time BYU ever plays Boise State, we don't know. Like, we think BYU and Utah State are going to play again, right? Yes. Who knows if and when BYU and Boise State are going to play again. I'm cool if we don't because I would like a P5 in the form of Utah or a bigger name than Utah, a G5. Sometimes that could be Utah State and an FCS. That's what I want out of the three games. So there's, there's unsettled business here with Boise State. They essentially ruined any real shot that BYU had of getting into a New Year's Six Bowl game last and year. And BYU did it to them in 2019. Correct. Yeah. So settle the score again one more time up in Boise. Boise like State, that, no doubt. That would be the bigger one. Big Game Boomer posted a list of the most famous celebrity fan for every school. He has Aaron Eckhart as BYU's most famous fan. Okay, Two-Face. Like alumni? Oh, a celebrity fan. Celebrity is Aaron fan. Eckhart a celebrity fan of this, BYU? This I don't know that based, he's very public about that. He went to BYU. on him, a few pictures of him wearing a BYU hat, but that was like seven or eight years ago. Yeah, I don't think he's super vocal about BYU, but we'd love to have him back here anytime he wants. Like, who is like That's the most guy. outspoken famous fans? Probably Steve Young. I would right? say Steve Young. If you go like non-sports, you got to be like, is it like? Did Donnie Osmond go here for a oh, semester? Maybe Don, yeah, maybe maybe it's Donnie or Marie, right? Donnie or, and Marie. Or Dale Murphy, because he went to, oh, I guess non-sports. Okay, well, listen. So Dan is, Reynolds, is, Imagine is Dragons. Game, is Big Game Boomer right listing Aaron Eckhart and not any of the previous people we discussed? <sighs> I don't I don't know. In, t- in terms of, like, influence, Stephanie Meyer wrote Twilight, wouldn't hear, right? Jared Hess, Napoleon Dynamite. It might Nacho be Donnie Ray, and Marie, like the most widely Probably. recognized. And my mom and your mom would really like that answer as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Utah's uh, was listed as Big Game Boomer. So that's pretty funny. <laughs> By the way, fantastic. Utah State's uh, was Nolan Bushnell who created Atari and Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, that's legit. I didn't know who Nolan Bushnell was until this morning. That's legit. On the ESPN Plus broadcast of the women's soccer game last night, a graphic said BYU Broncos. BYU Broncos. This just in, BYU has changed its mascot. Just kidding. In the 2018, there it is. In the Potato Bowl in 2018, the postgame, the Cougars were called the Tigers. Congratulations to your BYU Tigers. There it is. Would you rather be a Bronco or a Tiger? I'd rather be a tiger. Tigers are ferocious. Also, it's in the feline family. It's in the feline family. Similar to a cougar in a a few ways. But the Bronco Mendenhalls, is that what they were getting at? Broncos? The Broncos, BYU. I I think somebody thought Boise, was singing Boise State. Well, if there had been an apostrophe, suddenly it becomes um, like Bronco Mendenhalls, BYU. He he owns BYU. Uh, (laughs) It's Broncos BYU, not just any BYU. For a minute, he did. Broncos BYU. Yeah, for a few years, he did. So, yeah. I would much rather be a tiger in this regard. Like the, <laughs> the BYU Broncos. Uh, shout, shout out to that font coordinator. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, the, the font is interesting too. Listing the mascot before the name, that's also an interesting take. Cougars BYU are going to crush it this year. <laughs> Beat those G5s. All right. Bronco aside, the opening line of Bill Connolly's article today on ESPN about Ooh. how to make the season go. fun goes like this, and I quote, the college football extended universe is something a fiction writer could only dream of creating. Hmm. Star Wars never had a side plot as worthwhile as the BYU-Utah Holy War. 
Jerem, you're a Star Wars guy. Is that statement fact or galactic blasphemy? <laughs> nice. Uh, BYU Utah is pretty good. Although I, I have enjoyed the, uh, you know, I just finished Clone Wars, so the Ahsoka Mandalore storyline was pretty juicy. Could have done without the Martez sisters at the end, in season uh, seven. But anyway, you really I'm, into, it. I'm into Rebels now, and I haven't seen it, and uh, so I'm excited to see where when this When are you going to start your blog? Or, or at least like a podcast about this? Because I don't have time. You're, you're missing your passion, Jerem. I don't work for free anymore, bro. Except <laughs> in church. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. ESPN's Pete Thamel reports college football playoff board briefly discussed, five minutes worth, the potential of major college football operating outside the NCAA governance yesterday. All right. Will college football be a non-NCAA sport sometime in the next 10 years? I believe it will be. I just think there's too much traction, too much noise in regard to that happening. I think the NCAA has their hands on every other sport, but football is just an entirely different beast. It feels like it's gonna happen certainly in the next decade. I believe so as well. March Madness, the big product. They run all the championships. The only championship they don't run currently is college football. College football playoff. So why wouldn't it break away? More autonomy for whoever that group is that's running it. It's headed that direction with NIL and the transfer. Who's gonna run it is the real question. Get a, get a commissioner. Be very interesting to see what so happens nice. there. The Athletics' Matt Brown tweeted about old college football passing stats yesterday. This is fun. And added this one. One of my favorites, stats, is that Ty Detmer threw more interceptions, 28, <laughs> in his Heisman season than the past four Heisman winners combined. Wow. 26. Jeremy, is Ty Detmer the ultimate gunslinger in college football history? I did not realize that Ty had thrown that many interceptions. <laughs> that did not include the bowl game, by the way, either. Um, okay, it's fifth most in, in NCAA history, but it's not as many as your boy John Ekman of Wichita State, who amazingly threw 34. 34 interceptions in a in season. season. And I think seven touchdowns. And How I'm, did he keep his job? I'm gathering he didn't throw for 5,000 yards and win the Heisman. No, either. Ty threw for a gajillion yards that year. Right? Um, not to mention, of course, 41 touchdowns. Uh, but when you look at the last couple of years, those numbers have been pretty low for BYU. So that brings us to a stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. In the last four seasons, BYU's thrown 27 interceptions total, notably five last year with Jaron Hall, three the year before that with Zach Wilson. Aaron Roderick's quarterbacks don't throw a lot of picks. But it was a different era, different time, and you'll take uh, the yards and touchdowns that Ty put out. Yeah. And he, he threw a bunch of picks against Miami. You still win the game. Like, you can make up for that. Yes. Very rare is a seven-step drop in today's college football world. Seven-step drop. But we saw Ty so Detmer worse. doing that on the regular. Five- yeah. and seven-step drops, downfield passing attack. Everything was down the field. It just, it it's just a different a game now. Ball gets out quick. Yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, going back... 28 interceptions ago for BYU. Think about like, like from rewind. Yes. 28 backwards. interceptions ago. Yep. Okay. It was November 18, 2017. Joe Critchlow threw four interceptions in the loss to UMass. <laughs> yeah. Have I? I have you gone to a? I don't acknowledge that. You've gone to a bad place. <laughs> that game doesn't exist. You lost to UMass. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, let's move on because that, that stinketh <laughs> to me. 
<laughs> in uh, their opponent preview, the website Mountain West Wire said the following uh, in the BYU port. Oh, a Mountain West preview of BYU. Yep, predicted that, uh, you know, uh, BYU would uh, lose to multiple Mountain West opponents, namely Utah State and Boise State, okay. but would beat Wyoming. Okay. Is this more or less ridiculous than the Mountain West five teams in the top 44 tweet? This is more ridiculous. This is more ridiculous? Well, I mean, they're both ridiculous, right? <laughs> but I just look at the idea of Utah State beating BYU in Provo this year, and I think, no way. It's not happening. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We said that as well in previous years. No, where you no, 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 no it's, not, it's not happening. So I do want to it's be a little careful, but... Yeah. Like the Mountain West is an improved conference. Hell, absolutely. So I'm more. I'm. I. I can like relate a little bit more Utah to the State's idea. Utah State's been on the coattails of BYU's league like, for a long time. Oh, we're in the whack now. We're in the Mountain like West. Like they're now. projecting. What are you going to try and get in the Big Twelve now too? They're projecting you Boise go State to beat BYU. Yeah, whatever. Like again, that feels like it could happen. Utah State beating BYU in Provo this year? No. The no. five teams in the top 24, 44 is by far more ridiculous Why? than this. Why? Because there was zero in the top 25. Your point is so stupid. That's almost as bad as when Penn State was like, Penn State has produced a player that played uh, in the Super Bowl okay. every year. So, and then so like, like in big, and then in, it was like, except for 1967, 92, and 2007. Really they're saying there are five Mountain West teams between 26 and 44? Yes. <laughs> We have five teams that got votes. That's what they meant by hey, that. When I look at it through that's that, what they meant by that, through that lens, that's it's stupid. That's yeah, that's that's silly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but uh, I just I see Utah State beating BYU in Provo. No, no. <sighs> I don't see it either. No, but we didn't see it in 2014 no. either. So health to everybody. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Number 25, BYU just in the first preseason poll, but in nonetheless for the first time in 13 years. The first one we care about. In that preseason AP poll. Yeah. Jerem, now that you've had all of like, I don't know, three minutes to uh, digest this, what's your reaction to BYU being number 25 and the AP preseason college football play. My body language is super defensive, right? I cross my arms. <laughs> uh, let's walk through some of the numbers. The good news. BYU's in the preseason top 25. This is where they belong. They belong in this uh, because they return the quarterback, 85% mm -hmm. of production. Yes, Tyler Algier does not come back, but a lot of production in terms of who is coming back on the season. Christopher Brook, ton of yards, ton of experience. He's the one that should be affected by this the most today to go, oh, the difference between me and Tyler Algier, I'm going to show you that I'm on par with this man and can help BYU in this place. Twelfth uh, time, all-time, BYU's in the preseason. Only the twelfth time ever. Ever, right? Third since 98. This is just the third time in the 20s, by the way, of those 12. Typically, BYU's inside the top 20 preseason. Yeah. Um, you know, highest since 09, like we talked about. Um, BYU seeking to finish for a third year in a row in the AP Top 25. That'd be just the fifth time three years in a row. Okay, my reaction is BYU should be higher. Like, what could BYU do? Am I getting picky here, by the way, that BYU should be higher? I, I feel like I'm a little picky, but what could BYU do to get higher? BYU went 6-1 and one versus Power 5s, 5-0 versus the Pac-12. Yep. Returns the quarterback, returns all the production, has the respect of a lot of people nationally. Why isn't BYU like 17th here? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand 
that. that like, I don't think the average AP voter knows that Tyler Algier is gone. Like, I don't think that's the talking point. I think it's that BYU is not in a Power 5 conference, therefore they're treated like a G5 in this case. I think BYU is treated like a G5 with this ranking. The one way to fix this is happening next July 1st. It's BYU gets into a Power 5 conference, and when you win then the 10 res- games... the respect is built in if you're a Power 5 team that yes, wins 10? Yes, if you do the same... Although it'll take a couple years for that perception to happen. It's not, like, automatic. You're still, like, in people's minds, people go, oh, yeah, BYU's in the Big 12. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. This should be where, like, Louisiana Monroe gets. If Louisiana okay. Monroe or whatever <laughs> had, had gone 10-3, and three, returned the quarterback in 85% of production, and finished 19th, which is what BYU did in the AP poll, right? Yeah, yeah. You would go, they're the 25th best team in the preseason poll. This is disrespect. I think BYU <laughs> should take this personally, like Michael Jordan the last stand and go, and I took that personally. That's how I feel about this. I think BYU should be higher, man. Again, it's hard to crack it. BYU's doing it as an independent. You're getting ahead of these teams, which is nice. Yes. But, like, in a vacuum, BYU should be higher. I know it's not in a vacuum. But, like, what, what could BYU do more last year to merit and return to merit more than 25? Well, isn't it interesting that the final three teams in, 23, 24, and 25, are all new members of the Big 12? Cincinnati, number 23. Mm-hmm. Houston, number 24. BYU, number 25. Cincinnati's coming off a playoff appearance. They lost Desmond Ritter and a bunch of NFL Nine guys. NFL draft picks. Nine. They're number 23. Houston, okay, a nod for Houston. UCF is about 10, 8 to 10 spots out. But my goodness, only three non-Power 5 teams in, and all three of those teams, Jerem, are going to the Big 12 next July 1st. So those three teams won't even be group of five teams again in less than a year from right. now. It, it would be an all – you could say in a way this is like an all-Power 5 top 25 in the preseason. And That's uh, very, very strange. And as we, and as we look at the, the poll, uh, for those who missed it, right, uh, Alabama 1, Ohio State 2, Georgia 3, shocking. Clemson does not deserve 4, but they get it. Yeah, well, let's talk about um, other teams that don't deserve or maybe they and do. we're not mentioning that team okay. up north. We don't care. Okay. Notre uh, Dame number five. five. Notre Dame number five. Five. Oregon number Baylor? 11? Who had Oregon, Oregon 11. Oregon oh. number 11? No, item 12. Like, item what, 12. what did Oregon do to deserve the number 11 ranking <laughs> Phil in Knight. the preseason top 25? They've got a new coach. They've got a transfer quarterback. New coach don't matter. Jordan. Like, they lost yeah. – they got absolutely blitzed by Utah twice. They, Notre Dame has a new coach. They're fifth. Well, he's been around, though. Like, this is a new staff at Oregon. Like, Cristobal, that whole staff is But gone. it was the national champs, D.C. Notre Dame – like, still has a guy that's been around the program for a long time. Like, yeah. he knows the players. The National Champs DC is at Oregon. That's why they have that respect. The group of five on topic today. Six different G5 opponents for BYU this season in their independence finale. We focus, naturally, so much attention on the Power Five opponents. But it was the group of five teams last year, Jerem, that caused BYU more problems. Two losses compared to just one loss against the Power Five. Crazy. So, this season against the six teams... And most notably at Boise State, home to Utah State. Do you expect BYU to beat the Aggies and the Broncos and the other four teams and go 6-0 and against a group of five teams? I don't. I think 5-1 and one is probably where BYU lands. Uh, certainly we want 6-0. and Come on. Uh, but what we really should be talking about is the FCS team. Mm. No, just kidding. Live on BYU TV. Uh, yeah, I, I would love a 3-2 uh, and two Power 5 record. In a five and one G five record, that'd be eight and four. But what we really want and think is nine plus. 
So in order to really do that, you probably need to go 6-0 against the, uh, the G5s. Now, uh, I'd like to just say this publicly, especially with the Mountain West, I feel there are some top 44 wins in there uh, for BYU since they lauded that. Although I put that out jokingly this morning on Twitter, and uh, Greg Welch at Art Director BYU said, not per FPI, uh, just one top 50 team from uh, among the BYU opponents in the G5. Boise State at 47. So will Boise State even be in the top 44? We kid. But yes, in order to get nine wins, it feels like BYU would probably need to go 6-0 against G5. Well, technically, if they go 3-2, and two, they've got the FCS game against Utah right. Tech. That gets you to 9-3. and three. That gets you to 9-3. and three. That's how I came up with that number. That's right. Okay, so yes, I think 5-1 uh, and one can still get you there. And, and let's be honest, that's probably the reality. Um, going 6-0 and oh is hard against the G5 teams, no matter how BYU, uh, good BYU is. Um, you, and you look at who BYU is facing. Obviously, these are all winnable games. Boise State is the toughest game. No doubt, given the history, given who Boise State is, given last season. Utah State uh, was way better than we thought last year. Basically, BYU beat Utah and Utah State, and they got real good after that. Um, BYU got them at a good time, and I, I'd be confident with BYU later in the season against those guys too. But BYU took advantage because that was September 29th. Utah State goes 11-3, wins the Mountain West. They have a banner year. They finished top 25. But clearly, Boise State's the toughest game. Going undefeated, Spence is hard, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. The last time BYU went undefeated against a group of five teams was in 2015, 7-0. Seven years. It's hard to beat all the group of five teams. Like, you stumble at least once, typically. Like, 2020, unbelievable team. Obviously a weird game at Coastal. There's one G5 loss there. Granted, Coastal was a very good team. They were top 20 as well. So, I, that's why I say 5-1. and one. I, I think 5-1 is probably the my, that's my prediction of what happens. Five more. So the key to BYU I don't going want any unbeaten against a group of five teams in independence has been beating Boise State. Like the key you will have to, be to beat Boise State. If you beat Boise State, certainly you have a shot. Then you've got a great shot. Because they're by far the toughest there. Utah State, the other toughest. So assuming health. We're assuming health. We do. Go back last year. Jaron Hall was not healthy against Boise State. And neither was Baylor Romney. That was the real Baylor issue. Baylor Romney had to sit out because he was concussed the week before against, against Utah, Utah State. State. If Baylor he could Rom not play. I think if a healthy Baylor Romney's in there and you don't have to play an already injured Jaron Hall. BYU I think beats it, Boise I think State. BYU, yes. Although, although, did Tyler Algier and Lopini uh, Katoa, were, those three fumbles, were those, did those have anything to do with Jaron Hall? No. Do we just think Jaron's going to move the ball down the field more in the other possessions? Yeah, Jaron was clearly limited in his ability to do what he usually does. He's playing with broken ribs. Like He could not get the ball down the field with as much gusto, yeah. as much velocity behind it as he wanted to. I, I just feel like if BYU has a healthy quarterback against Boise State last year, they win that game. And certainly, the ball three times, certainly against UAB. Hey, if Jaron Hall is healthy and playing against UAB, you gotta like BYU's chance. BYU's going UAB. to beat the Blazers and win their bowl game. But we liked Baylor Romney and his ability. It still didn't work, right? Jaron, obviously, uh, a, a little bit better quarterback than Baylor. That's why he was a starter. Yeah, there were there were there were issues outside of the QB. I think in both games, BYU didn't stop the run well. And yeah, well, yeah, again, BYU. We feel like the depth is better overall for BYU this year, so that if they do get to a bowl game scenario at the end of the season, and it's similar to last year where they're dealing with a bunch of injuries, we think they're better equipped to handle that. I kind of need to see it still. 
Uh, I, I hope for it. Um, but a depth conversation in the preseason is one of my most annoying topics, frankly, because we don't actually know that. We think that you bring back experience, but th- like, is it well, quality is, depth? Are they going to actually? This stop is the based run? on what Kalani Satake has said but again what, and again and again, where it's like, this is the most depth I've had of yeah. any team I've coached to BYU. Yeah, and that's due to COVID. Um, but like, are those guys going to make the plays in that game if it comes to that late in the season? Because they did not against UAB. Like. I, I am still – the jury's still out a little bit for me to see. And I you know what I don't want to see is the depth because I'd love the starters okay. to be healthy. I'm buying I would what, love that. I'm buying what Kalani is selling right now. I'm not I'm sa- buying it. I'm, I'm, not not se- I'm not saying you're not. I'm saying I'm buying yes, it. Yes. I am buying it. And, and what's he going to say? No, we're not deep? You know what I mean? Like, yes, BYU is deep. Well, he admitted as much. He said we just were not as deep last year yeah. as we are this year. And what are we talking about specifically? Because general depth is pretty boring to me. The like, depth, what are we talking about? The depth to handle – if BYU is taking on a group of five team like what? they were last year in a bowl game, which is the most likely scenario. No, right? I mean like positions. Like, again, that's general. Linebackers. Like, linebacker. For one. Secondary. Another. Okay, Pepe has moved back. Okay, the ben defensive line. Max oh, Everywhere on the defense, we believe that there is more depth overall. And to me, that is the key to BYU sustaining and getting a perfect record taken care of against a group of five teams. If you have a healthy quarterback and you indeed have depth from, you know, position 1 to 11 on the defense, and that's in place, then I think – why should I believe that BYU will not beat even Boise State on the road? Because that's what happens. It's just what happens. Like, why does Boise State – Some of the best BYU teams have struggled. Why does Boise State in its current state worry BYU fans so much? This is PTSD from having gone up there and lost so many times, right? And I don't even know if it's Boise State I'm worried about per se. I'm just saying there's a game there that happens – Often, right. I don't know exactly what game it is. Here's Percentage the thing. Wise, obviously, Typically, Boise State feels like it'd be that game. Typically, those losses. Utah State has bitten BYU and Provo before sure. when we didn't think about it. Typically, like, those losses are related to injuries, though. Straight up. So depth has to be at quarterback as well. So like Jacob Conover's got to be ready. We can't just pick on the defense. Jacob right? Conover played in the win against Utah State last year. He handed the ball off to Tyler a lot. Like Jacob's got to be ready to uh, do more, right? Than than and. I think he was, but that was like a tough spot yeah. for him to be in. Outside of the Coastal loss, because BYU was, we think, at pretty much full health against Coastal. And that game's weird because you take yeah. it on three days' notice. Because and so it's, we know. Yeah. It's hard to not just be like, okay, I can't really say BYU. shows that. Yeah. shows that. Right. So the Coastal game aside, typically if BYU loses to a group of five opponent in the last few years, injuries are heavily involved. Then in depth this. has to be there. Like – and it's got to be in particular at quarterback because we can't – yeah, we like the, ex, the excuse we sort of just brought up, right, was that Jaron Hall wasn't healthy. Assuming well, health then of the quarterback. Jaren, then Jacob Conover's got to be ready, right? Um, and obviously BYU, uh, you know, in the independence era, 31-8. That's good. That's a good record. Although you'd think, hey, eight losses feels like a lot. And, and a lot of those happened in 2017, let's be honest. And even 2018 with a young group, you had a Northern Illinois loss in there where you were like, what? What was that? That was a weird one, right? BYU loses that game 7-6. to six. It's a young Zach Wilson. Second start. You lose to Utah State, uh, you know, I think, uh, what, the week before um, and, and whatnot. And Zach comes in at the end, and then he gets to start later. So, yeah, you got to be ready. to Because if BYU can go 6-0 and against G5, now we're talking about this team 
maxing out its capability, which we think is to go nine plus. If BYU is but to win it's 10 hard. games, it's hard to go in as we talked about 2015. Last time BYU beat all the G5s. The most likely case to a 10 win season, a third consecutive 10 win season, is going six and zero against the group of fives. And and then a 3-2 and two record against Power Fives, yeah. and you beat Utah Tech, and you're 10-2. and two. And if BYU's as deep as we're saying, they should be able to sustain that. Why? Why? Exactly. Yes. Assuming like, health, I think BYU should go 6-0 no. against a group of fives. Well, if, you're, if you're talking about being deep, then, then you should be able to say, okay, even if we get banged up, we're still going to win all these games. Well, now, yeah. To, to, yes, like, yes, yes, yes. Right? That's what like, I'm saying. We, like, can't, we can't go, yeah, we're deep. And then if BYU loses a game like this, go, well, the starters are out. No, 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 no. You can't this use is the team. depth and not excuse that. This is what we're using from Kalani, right? Buying the depth. Let's go. She beat all the group of five. Show teams. me. Show me. It starts in week number one against a sneaky group of five opponent. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.